Well, good morning. I've missed you guys. I've been gone. I've kind of missed a couple of my rotations, and so it's nice. Say what? Oh, well, thank you. That's, that feels good. Um, it's nice to be missed. All right, I know I've done this before, but it, it, it has a, um, it's not just uh, an opening. It's not just a precursor. I've asked this question, and it's actually going to be integrated into our conversation today, and that is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing today? 1 being as bad as you've ever been. It's sort of that spiritual, emotional continuum. And 10 being as good as you've ever done, as feeling marvelous. So here's what I want you to do. Put your hands on your lap, if you can. Take a couple deep breaths. And then your left pinky is one and your right pinky is ten. Push the finger that best represents how you're feeling today. All right. How many of you were able to push an eight, nine, or a ten? Nice. We expect it from the honeymoon corner. That's fine. That's... We're happy for you. Any, any, any particular reason that you would say, I think I feel this way because? That you'd want to say out loud? All right. That's fine. Maybe you're being sensitive. Don't want to rub it in. Because, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but my hunch is some of us might have pushed one, two, or three. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to try, if you didn't push one, two, or three, I'd, try, I'd like for you to try to, one, imagine a moment in life when that would have been true for you today. A one, two, or three. What that felt like, if you can remember. And the other is to, if you can, sort of feel the difference between what it's like to share with someone I'm an 8, 9, or a 10 versus what it's like to say I'm a 1, 2, or a 3. If you're like me, it's much easier to share 8, 9, or 10 than it is to say out loud the truth of my 1, 2, or 3. The reason I wanted you to do that is because I want you to have the feeling as best you can as we look at this moment in the life of Jesus where he shares with the most incredible honesty and vulnerability the reality of his emotional and spiritual one moment. It's found in Luke 22. That's the, the event that we'll read, but the truth is that this, this incident is repeated in every gospel. The three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they record it very, almost identical with a little difference from the different perspectives. And John references it, not saying the exact same words, but references it. So it's one of those moments that shows up in all four 
of the biographies of Jesus. Luke 22, verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. You're free, I think, to imagine the way in which you might express that. I'm doubting you would use that language. Cup of suffering is not a word we're familiar with. But you might say, God, I don't want this. This is not what I want. I'm scared or I'm whatever you may want to fill in. It, it's, it's true that in communication technique, it is best to have your audience anticipate your final and big idea. That, that good communication typically is when you, you draw the audience together on a, on a story that at the end, making them sort of anticipate, what's he trying to get to? What's going to be the big idea? What is this point? And I like to do that, but... I don't want to miss, I want to tell you right now what I think is sort of the big idea of what we're going to talk about today, and it goes like this, that praying is not just saying, your will be done, but I think praying is actually when we fully embrace the want, the humanity, the vulnerability of what our experience is, and we say it as honestly and as clearly as we can, as we hopefully are recreated into the person Jesus wants us to be, and we become the kinds of people who can say, but not my will, but yours. I think that's what praying is, and I'm going to share with you a, a way in which we can do that. Before I do that, I, I want to channel something from my uh, childhood, if I can, or from my adolescence, actually. I, as you know, I grew up in Alabama, and then I would visit in the summers. And in, in Alabama, when you, when, once you're outside, usually of the, of the few big towns, it's primarily all rural. In a rural Alabama in the summer, it's, at least when I was an adolescent, it's very common to see next to a, a big church a big white tent. Any of you familiar with revivals? Any of you experienced a revival? A revival is part of a, it's a religious tradition. It's fairly old, but it's still practiced, as far as I know, quite a bit in the South. I don't know that I've ever seen it really here in Colorado, but it's, it always happens in the South. And what, what a revival is is when, when the pastor of a church will invite another pastor to come and just beat the crap out of his people because he doesn't want to do that. You know, that would be bad. So he just invites somebody, and for about a week... They're just going to lay into you, man. That's why I'm here. That's exactly right. I'm like the vice president. I'm supposed to be the bulldog, you know. And then Peter can be the good guy. Next week he can come and go, you know, that's not really, you know, that's not true what he said. Um, but in, but, it, but I, 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 so I, the reason I was going down that path was not to diss my brothers and sisters in the South, but it was to 
th this memory. In that, and for some reason, it comes only in a southern voice where, where I can remember the pastor going, coming and beginning the arrival. Who here wants a blessing? Now that's, a, that's not a very high-risk question, in my opinion. All right, I don't think you're going to get a lot of no's, but I'm going to ask it as honestly as I can. Who here would like a blessing? You, you can raise your hand if you want. Yeah, if you have a hanky, you can really get into it now. All right, get your hanky out. Yeah, who wouldn't want a blessing from God? And here's a question that I don't know if you wrestled with, but do you think God wants to give to you his blessing? I think I know this community, and I think that's a sort of a foundational component to the, the fabric of your belief system, that God wants to bless you. Is that right? So let's look at what I think is perhaps the clearest delineation of God's offer to bless you, his desire of what that would look like. It's found at the almost the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. You can turn over if you want, or you can just listen. It's pretty, pretty familiar words. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We call it the Beatitudes. Each Beatitude beginning with the proclamation of God's desire to want to bless you. Again, I, I know I should probably wait, but I just got to tell you at the beginning that if we're honest, while we want the blessing, I don't think there's a part of my humanity that wants the mechanism of God's blessing. There's not one part of me that's going to wake up on any of these and go, hey, I want that. But praying is the, is the joining of my true expression of what I want with my surrender to the marvelous blessing of God. And he opened his mouth in Matthew 5 and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What do the words come to mind when you hear the word poor? I think of sort of under-resourced. Luke talks about poor in spirit, and Matthew says poor, or Matthew says poor in spirit, Luke says poor. It, 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 I, I don't know that it matters significantly, personally. I, I think the idea of feeling like I don't have enough, that I'm scared, that I'm not enough. I was sharing with some folks yesterday, actually, that since I was 14, this is the longest period in my life where I haven't had some kind of a paycheck. It's been over a year, and I, and it, don't, I mean, it, it, I haven't been looking for, 
for work yet. It, that's going to come here in, in maybe a few months. So it's not that I've been looking and I'm frustrated, which some of you I know you've experienced that, and that's a, that's a really difficult, oh, such a hard place to be. And, but I, I, I have felt poor, not in the sense necessarily of, of finances, even though it is, certainly has impacted that, but, but it, it's, it's well, I'll just say it this way. I'm, I'm tired of people asking me what I do, and I'm embarrassed to say nothing. I'm tired of the, the sense of poverty, of not sort of feeling validated because somebody gave me money for something that I could do well. I know maybe you think, well, that's a stretch. But what, I, what I'm saying is, in my prayer to God, when I'm honest, it's God, I'm sick of feeling like I'm not enough. I'm sick of, of having to wait. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of being asked, what do you do? I don't like that. As I'm trying to move from being honest to being surrendered. For me, perhaps, it sometimes might look like this. Lord, while I'm sick of not feeling externally validated, I'm sick of not feeling externally safe. But I want to trust you in your approval. I want to trust you in your resources. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's lots of things we can mourn. We can mourn, the, we can mourn people. We can mourn uh, opportunities. We can mourn dreams. But all of them relate to a loss, it seems to me. Something that we either had or something that we deeply wanted. Blessed are those who mourn. You see, in each of these, 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 these beatitudes... We have options. When we mourn, we might say, as is very common, I don't want to mourn. I don't want to feel the weight of this loss. I don't want to, I'm tired of wanting something that hasn't happened or wanting the connection that isn't there. And so I choose to numb myself. I can just numb myself. I'll, I'll find the thing that makes me not feel. as we process our prayer of surrender. Lord, I, I hate this feeling. But can this emptiness lead me to you? I surrender to you being enough for me. I surrender to that idea. I, I want to... I say to you as a little caveat that as we walk through this I feel like over the 40 years of my being a follower of Jesus that I've experienced community in one sense as a either an honest community or a surrender community but it's rare to find both in my earlier experience it was 
it was not uncommon to hear language about surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. It wasn't uncommon to, to be um, encouraged to give my life and to deny myself and to, and to follow him at all costs. That wasn't uncommon. It wasn't uncommon in my early Christian experience to hear verses that would, were intended to be helpful, to help me know that Jesus was enough for me. But if I can be honest, I can't, I can't hardly remember a time when somebody in a, in a, within the community shared something that seemed inappropriate. And what I mean by inappropriate is a, a deep failing or a deep longing or a deep question that was unanswered. Something that we all have experienced, but nobody ever said it out loud. And I've been in communities where, honestly, they were fantastic at allowing people to be honest, to say out loud the thing that is true, the doubt, the anger, the hurt. But to, to interject it, Jesus could be the answer for that. That to surrender to Jesus is part of, of what he is calling us to do. That part seems somehow off the table. You, that, that was spiritualizing or scripturizing. Or, it seems like that... It's stuck in this world of it's either or, and I don't think we're supposed to be either or. You get that idea. Humble. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Kind of again, just in, if I'm just processing this last year, I can, I can confess that I, I liked telling people I was a pastor. I'm not, that's, not, that's not good <laughs> that that felt good. It's just true. And to not have that in the same way seems humbling. Let's suppose for a moment that you are proud. Let's just say that that's theoretically an issue you might have. And let's just say the theoretically that, that God in his great mercy and love for you knows that life would be better for you if you were humble, right? That's what blessing is. Life is better for you. How will God transition you from proud to the better option? The one you really do deeply want. Humble. You see, you will be humiliated. Not shamed, it's a different word. But the process of going from proud to humble is being humiliated, feeling humiliated. I hate summer in some ways. I mean, I love, you know, I, I like a lot about summer. <laughs> I hate going swimming. And I love to swim. If I could swim at night or in private, I'd swim all the time. I hate taking my shirt off. I hate it. But I can sometimes feel when... My granddaughter wants to get in the pool, and I can feel myself 
surrendering, having to surrender, not living with the illusion that if I keep my shirt on, people won't know exactly what I look like. And I can feel myself having to trust that God finds me beautiful. And he finds me enough. And he won't reject me because I have a little roly-poly going on. It sounds weird. I'm a 57-year-old man. You're not supposed to say those kinds of things, right? And I don't like to say them out loud. But I can't honestly say, not my will but yours, if I'm not willing to own the thing that I really do want. Which is not to feel that way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Many translations, it's perfectly fine, will say hunger and thirst for justice. I think this idea of this particular beatitude, I could be wrong, I'll be careful here, but I think is perhaps the most misrepresented of all the beatitudes. And I'll tell you why, in 40 years of being a Christ follower, every time I, I think this is without exception, 100% of the time I've heard this passage referenced, it is someone using this scripture to point out the injustice they see in someone else or the injustice they see in something external to them. I'm not exactly sure that's what Jesus is saying because I get suspicious when 100% of the people I know feel like they're hitting this one out of the park. Like almost every person here, if I were to ask you, are you a person of justice, you would say, yes, I'm a person of justice. You're able to see injustice and you want to speak to that. That's a good thing. I'm, I'm not discounting that. What I'm saying is I'm not sure that's what this is talking about. You see, here's what I think he might be talking about. People who hunger and thirst for justice. It's people who when, as they are driving because they are late to an appointment fast and see the lights come on behind them, Say, thank you, God, that I'm going to experience justice. Thank you, God, that you have called out the privilege I felt I had to be above the law. Or you, you get the letter from the IRS, and you know you fudge just a little bit. Not as bad as your neighbor and justice comes to you. I had this weird, this is true, this is true, and I, 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 it might be hard for me to try to explain. I had this weird imaginary dialogue with Jesus just in the last couple of weeks. It, not, it wasn't like a prayer thing, but I, maybe it is prayer, I don't know. But I was having this dialogue with Jesus, and I was, and it was, because I was processing some of my anger and my, my hurt, and I was telling Jesus how hypocritical some people I saw were. And I was, telling, I was telling him about the hypocrisy I saw in them. And I was, in my mind, trying to imagine him getting all excited that I was able to notice hypocrisy in somebody else. 
and, and, and then as you can perhaps imagine as this conversation's going, Jesus isn't going, oh my gosh, you were able to notice hypocrisy in somebody? That's very unusual. Well, how did you, that's amazing. I think anyone who has said, I want to be a follower of Jesus, has a hundred percent of them time, the time will have opened themselves up to the accusation of hypocrisy. There is no way you're going to get around it. I have claimed to love and follow the one who is pure. And if you, you don't have to even follow me that long. So what, what in this imaginary conversation, what it was, was Jesus going, Carl, when I talk about hypocrisy, I'm not worried about you seeing it in others. That's not the big idea. The big idea of the beatitude is not for you, as I have most often done and heard, recognize how others are not living out the beatitudes. It is how you are not entering into the blessing of God through the combination of this honesty and this surrender. Yeah. Lord, as I am honest, I prefer to be a victim or a hero. But in reality, I'm a perpetrator. And I do want your justice because I want to be free. Mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Very quickly and simply, let me just say this. Mercy and kindness are both beautiful and marvelous things, but they're not the same. To, to offer mercy, you must have experienced an injustice, not an inconvenience, not a mistake. But to offer mercy, I believe, you have to have experienced an injustice. You have options. You do not have to be merciful. You can be resentful. You can be revengeful. You can be hateful. That's often how I try to manage the feeling of my injustice. The pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Oh, I hope, man, I hope you don't ever hear me say that what God is saying is I want you to try harder to be pure, try harder. I believe that he is calling us to be surrendered and they're not the same thing. I know I've shared this with you before. It's my way of comprehending what it means to be a person of faith or trust or surrender, which is that if, if in fact God is a relentlessly loving and pursuing God, 
If he's the one who is, ini- and I, who, which I believe that he is the one who is initiating and is the force of love coming at me, when I don't experience that love, it must be that I am using my energy and force to keep him away. And that faith is when I release my energy, when I stop pushing the door closed. It isn't me opening the door. It isn't me doing something so I can get his love to me. It is my surrender of, and my honesty of saying, I've been trying to keep you away. Because I want to be God. I want to make all these things true in my way, the way I know how. Blessed are those are peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Is it possible? Like sometimes do you wonder, is this even is this ever going to be possible? I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be an alarmist or hyperbolic, but it's it it just feels so much worse than it's been in in my experience, my life. The the fracture within just the community of Jesus, the vitriol. How can we be people of peace? Well, we can, if, I think, if we speak to issues but not motives. I think it is absolutely a good and human thing, perhaps even a Christ-like thing, to, always, to advocate for those issues we believe are true and important. What I think is dangerous is when people who see it differently than us, when we always and immediately impugn on them the worst possible motive for their belief. I believe peace within at least the community of Jesus is absolutely not possible if we gossip. I've experienced that the fastest way to feel connected to someone it's to simply talk about a common enemy. If I, can just, if I can just talk about those people, and you don't like those people, then you and I can be friends. You and I can feel connected, and I want to feel connected so bad, and so I gossip. I gossip. I label. And I never want to assume the best in the people that see life differently than me. Blessed are the peacemakers. But God, I don't want to be a peacemaker. I want to be on a team. I want to belong. I want to feel right. But I want to surrender that and trust you. The last one is the one that is in, in some way, this is, this is not for today's conversation, in some way I think all of the Beatitudes within even the Sermon on the Mount will be readdressed in a way. But this one, he immediately sort of says twice. Let me read it for you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I'm 
I've shared before, this last year, these last couple of years have easily been the hardest in my life. And not, I'm not, not in huge amounts, but in small, small little ways. I don't think since junior high have I experienced being persecuted. I don't think I have experienced people saying things about me that I didn't, it didn't feel true. And there's options. Mostly what I've done is I keep trying to fix the misunderstanding. I, 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 I keep trying to correct the, the, what it feels to me like this misperception of my character and who I am. I, 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 I get churning, and, and usually I'm doing this in my head as I'm driving almost anywhere. I just keep having these conversations, and that's not what I meant, and that's not true about me. But I've also found this to be true about me. One of the ways that I avoided being persecuted is I get very quiet. Not quiet in the way that Jesus was before his accusers, in the way that he was resigned to the Father's trust, but quiet so I don't get in trouble. Quiet because I'm afraid. Quiet because I don't like being on the outside of a group. Oh God, I want to be wanted. I want to belong. But not my will, but yours. When Jesus prayed, that most vulnerable prayer, that trying to imagine your moment of one on the emotional, spiritual scale, and saying out loud what that was. And Jesus modeling that, saying that is, is, is so informative. Let me give you one little application that I've used a few times. And this may seem strange, but it'll work if you're not in an intimate or married relationship. It, it still works, I think, in, in other kinds of relationships. And sometimes when I have had the opportunity to work with a couple that are struggling or in conflict. I'll often hear one or both talk about what they need. I need you to blank. And I, in, in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I get that. But what I found that it's a difficult transition is I asked them if they'd be willing not to use the word need. To me, need implies a non-negotiable. I, I need air. I need food. What I ask them to do, and sometimes it takes a long time, is I ask them to use the word want. And what's really interesting, I don't know if you've experienced this in, in you, but somehow I think we've been taught this message that it's wrong to want. That wanting is the bad thing. And so what you can, you, if you can just manage your want, put, put your want down. Don't let want come up. Don't express a want. Well, that, that's, that's not being a good Christian. Or, and I don't think that's true. I think it's better to be honest about what I want. Because now we can talk about it. 
In, in relationship, in one sense, there is this process of sort of negotiating what I can do and what I can't do. What you want, and I can't give you, every, I can't give April everything that she wants. But the more she can ask me, and I can feel free to do what I can and not do, the better it is for us. The reason I reference is that is I have found myself so often unable just to even to say to God the truth of what I want. And sometimes the thing I want is really ugly, I'll be honest. The last, I think it's in the last verse of Psalm 3. The psalmist says this, God, will you slap in the face my enemies and break their teeth? That's what I want. Now, the slap in the face we understand. Breaking the teeth, that's, we're not quite as familiar with that. Some scholars say that what that's referencing is a slow and humiliating death. Their food systems and the, the way that they were able to extract nutrition wasn't as sophisticated as ours. I mean, we all know that the reason we chew our food is it breaks it down, makes it easier for our body to process. They didn't have fake teeth back then, and they didn't have Vitamix to puree what, what couldn't be chewed. And so what would happen for people who had no teeth is they weren't able to extract the amount of nutrition they needed from the little bit of food that was available. God, will you starve my enemies to death? Now, there's no record in Scripture where God going, yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. I'll just jump right on that. And I love that the Bible is this unedited story of the reality of being human and processing our surrender to the goodness and mercy and love of God. Wanting and expressing the want is not the wrong. It is when I then take responsibility to get the want. Keeping the door to the relentless love of God closed by all my energy. That's when I live a life that isn't blessed. However you interpret blessed, I often will say life is just better. Really? Life is better for those who have surrendered to God. Let's pray together. I'm not going to ask you to say anything out loud, but I'm wondering if perhaps in your life right now there is something that has felt dark and deep and hidden and you haven't even wanted to say it out loud to God. Maybe it is your, your marriage, your job, your resentment, 
the person who hurt you and what you really wish could happen to them. Father, it's only by the power of your Spirit and by the life of Jesus that lives within us that we can say, not my will. I think maybe your super, only, I mean, maybe the, the best example of your supernatural power in my life is when I can say, not my will, but yours be done. Oh, Father, as we taste the bread and the wine, we remember the goodness of the surrender. Oh God, remind us how good your will is. How trustworthy you are. Oh Lord, we wish and we want the cup to pass. We don't want to taste humiliation and sadness, lack of power or resources. Oh God, we're tired of, of not winning. But not our will. We want your will to be done. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body which is broken for you. He surrendered his body for us. And you're invited to come. It's through his broken body that we're healed. It's weird that Jesus invites us so often to die with him but not because he's masochistic. It's because he knows, as he told story after story, that it's out of death that comes life. To, today, as you come and you taste the bread and you drink the wine, you, you die so that you can live. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Amen.